Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Hello and welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Jared St. Clair. And today I've got another very interesting guest for you. Uh, his name is David Russell. Uh, he has experienced, as all uh, individuals that have been um, been with me on Dearly Discarded, uh, is someone who's experienced a vaccine injury. Of course, I've had a couple who have also experienced, um, who have lost people because of the COVID vaccines. And that's what this show is about. It's not always an easy show to listen to, but I think it's a very important show for one big reason, and that is that many of the voices that are on the Dearly Discarded podcast have been silenced on uh, platforms such as social media and have been, uh, their voices have been discarded, thus the name of the show. And I want this platform to give an uncensored look at what these people have to say. So with, uh, oh, and one reminder before we get into that, this podcast is brought to you by React 19, one of my most favorite organizations in the world. This is not an organization that I work for. Uh, it's not an organization I even knew existed uh, until I met uh, its founder, Bree Dressen. But I have since uh, grown to find that it is a world-class organization of people who are injured, uh, who are helping others that are in the same boat as they are. And they do it in a beautiful way with grace and with charity and with kindness. And uh, that is React 19. The link for React 19 will be in the show description if you'd like to throw some support their way in any way that you can. They would absolutely love to have it. Without further ado, though, I will welcome my guest, David Russell. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded podcast. Thank you, Jared. Uh, happy to be here with you today. David, you are a, uh, a very... I don't know much about you. We had a five-minute conversation before we started this show, and uh, yet I've already found that you are someone who is very passionate about not just kind of figuring out what you're doing with the injury that you've dealt with, but also trying to help make change uh, in government policies and laws and things like that to try and help as many people as we can with avoiding something like this in the future, as well as taking care of those who are uh, dealing with it now. Um, before we start and talk about your uh, injury itself, I'm really curious, what do you feel your primary motivation is in terms of trying to make these changes? What, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, well, as I have been going through my journey and uh, at a certain point in time, realized that I was not alone, that I was part of a larger community of individuals that have been affected um, in a negative way by this vaccine. Uh, I've come across a level of humanity that I've never experienced before. And people wanting to help other people out 
in terms of sharing ideas, therapeutic approaches people have taken, dietary approaches, intermittent fasting, um, and have created some very unusual friendships that otherwise I never would have. And uh, I think there's been a terrible injustice. There's probably other ways I could describe it that have happened to all of us. And uh, I don't want anybody else to have to experience what I and others have gone through. Uh, and that has given rise within myself to take actions beyond just myself. And I've never been an activist. I've always been involved, you know, in terms of knowing things that are going on, but to actually take some uh, uh, external action to make some change just has not been my nature. But as a result of this, for some reason, it's, it's given that rise to me. So, you know, uh, the same organization that you mentioned, React 19 and Redressing, I've gotten involved with that organization in, in some of the work that they're doing and trying to either raise funds and or also change some federal laws uh, to get some things done to help out other people that have been injured, as well as an organization in Massachusetts, which is where I live, an uh, organization called Health Rights MA, which uh, we're trying to change some laws at the Massachusetts level such that the COVID-19 vaccination cannot be used as a mandate or a barrier to entry, as we call it. Uh, and that goes for people that, you know, policemen, nurses, doctors, students, where if they refuse for whatever reason, uh, by their own choice not to get the vaccine, they can't be blocked out from either working, uh, going to an educational institute, entering the state, whatever. Uh, so it's really just trying to help other people so they don't get adversely affected in other ways like we have. For people in other states uh, and other regions of the country, I, I, and maybe you don't have a good answer for this because may, maybe you're as focused on Massachusetts as, as you are. Uh, maybe you don't know, but I'm curious, how would you say the laws in Massachusetts are as they currently stand in terms of mandates and things uh, compared to other places in the country? Is it more rigid in, in those areas? Uh, from what I understand, and again, it's a very small sample, um, I think Massachusetts is actually a bit more rigid than some other states. Um, I know there's other states that also have uh, mandates that are barriers uh, for individuals, uh, but I also know that there's probably more states where it's not a barrier. And what I find most interesting is that Massachusetts, which compared to other states is quite liberal, um, is so stringent on this particular fact. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, this show is far from a political show. We don't talk about red and blue and right and left and all that type of thing. Uh, but it is interesting to me that maybe more than any time in history, something having to do with medicine and health has become a very, very politically charged issue. And uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, political might behind these mandates in particular. And mm -hmm. uh, it's been interesting to me, you know, for people that don't know, I'm in Utah where uh, Brianne Dressen from React 19 also happens to live. Uh, and that it's funny you mentioned mandates because that's how I met Bree Dressen and how this podcast became a thing was at a hearing in at the Utah legislature specific to that COVID-19 vaccine mandates. 
And uh, she was speaking out about it. I was there in support of uh, abolishing mandates for this on this particular thing. And uh, it has been I've now interviewed people from probably at least 17 or 18 states, and it varies a lot. So if you are listening and, uh, you, you know, whether you've been personally impacted by a vaccine uh, or a COVID-19 vaccine or not, um, it behooves you to be aware of what's happening in your state uh, and even at, you know, the county health department level for things like this to understand what the situation is. And if you see injustice, if you see issues that have uh, that are in place when it comes to the laws and regulations in your state to take action like David is doing. And I certainly admire you, David, especially in the circumstances that we're about to talk about with your health, um, finding the energy to also fight against some of these things. So that brings us to the next question. What happened to you? Uh, how how when did your injury occur? Uh, and what vaccine was it that uh, created this? Okay, well, uh, April 4th of 2022, um, I received my second booster of Moderna. Uh, so that was my fourth shot of the Moderna uh, therapy. And about 10 days later uh, is when I started to experience my first symptoms. Um, we were, my wife and I were actually down in Florida at the time, uh, which is where we got the third and fourth boosters. Uh, and so, like I said, about 10 days afterwards, I started to experience the symptoms. Uh, would you like me to continue and go on with the, the journey at this yes, point? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, so the, the first symptom, and again, I, I initially did not make a correlation between getting the shot and the symptoms that I was experiencing, because the first three, I had no impact whatsoever. Matter of fact, I didn't even get a sore arm, uh, no hot flashes, no headaches, nothing. Uh, so I initially did not make that, uh, that connection. The, the first symptom that I started to experience was it felt like my skin was crawling off my body and it was all over, up and down my body. Uh, felt like, I guess the best way to describe it, I, there's many times I've tried to figure out how to describe it to my doctors. It felt like there was ants right under the surface of my skin that were dancing up and down. Um, the the other sensation that I started getting, um, which was just as bad, was more of a psychological issue where I was getting a feeling of impending doom, um, that something bad was going to happen. Uh, and I started to also get claustrophobic not mm. being in a in a confined space even in my bedroom lying down at night to go to sleep um i was having the sensation that things were closing in on me there was a couple times i actually had to get up out of bed and go outside uh to calm myself down so that happened over the next few days and i actually thought that i was might have been having a reaction uh to a drug called diphenhydramine which is particularly used in things like advil pm Tylenol PM, because I used to take that to help me sleep. Um, and I know that sometimes use of that can cause some issues, some side effects, which I've never had before, but I thought that that might have been it. Um, over the next several days, um, those symptoms continued. And then I started to lose my appetite. And I've always had a very healthy appetite. Um, and uh, there's one night my wife and I went out to dinner with the kids. 
and I was very hungry. When the waitress came and served the food, I looked down at it and I couldn't eat. And that started a spiral of, of uh, loss of appetite, which actually lasted for about three and a half months. Uh, and to the point where I'm not a large person, um, I'm five feet, eight inches and a relatively athletic build. I lost 26 pounds uh, over that journey of that first three to four months. Mm. Uh, and it was actually during that time frame, uh, well, back up for a second. Um, the first of May is when we started our journey back home. Uh, once we got back to Massachusetts, other symptoms I was having was just extreme fatigue and weakness in my arms and legs uh, to the point where my legs were not working quite well. I couldn't drive. My wife had to drive part of the way home. Um, and so I think two days after I got back, uh, I ended up in the emergency room because uh, I literally thought I was dying the way that my body felt because now those creepy crawly sensations under my skin turned into electrical shocks that were going up and down my body. Uh, and it was nonstop, 24 by 7. Uh, just it, it would not stop. The only time I got any relief is when I managed to be able to fall asleep. So I ended up in the emergency room for eight hours, and they did the full tests that they would do normally. You know, took some blood work and took a, you know, check my heart. And they actually did a, a CT scan of my brain. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the, finally, when all was said and done, the doctor came back and said, well, I don't see anything wrong with you. I don't see anything that is life-threatening that you're going to die. And they sent me home. Uh, but with no answers as to what was no going on, right? No, no yeah. answers. Everything checked out fine. My blood work was fine. I had not had a heart attack. There was no anomalies that they saw in the CT scan of my, of my brain. Uh, nothing. Every, everything looked fine, but yet I was still uh, having all these symptoms. Can I ask a couple of clarifying questions really quickly? Of course. So when you said April, you mean April of 2023? No, 2022. 2022. Okay. So we're about a year and a half-ish into 15 this. 15 months. Yeah. We're 15 months. Okay. Yeah. And w how quickly after that fourth shot, that booster, uh, did you start experiencing that creepy crawly feeling? About 10 days. 10 days yeah. after. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I afterwards. understood that. Okay. Yeah. It was a April 4th that I had the uh, last booster and uh, about on the 14th of April, 2022 okay. is when I started to develop the symptoms. Uh, and then by that first week in May, um, I was <laughs> I, I was incapacitated, basically. Um, and so after my visit to the emergency room, uh, a couple of days after that, when the symptoms didn't subside, I ended up going to see my my regular doctor, who has been my doctor for oh, about 22 years or so and uh, knows me very well. Um, and she was at a complete loss for what was going on. And at this point in time, there had not been any association or connection made to the vaccine at this point in time, hadn't, hadn't made that logical connection. Um, and so she ordered a whole series of tests to be done that were much more involved than uh, what was done at the emergency room, additional blood work being done, um, chest x-rays, uh, pulmonary function tests, um, uh, EKGs, uh, a whole variety of the standard tests. They all came back normal. Uh, no problems, no heart issues, no lung issues. Um, 
And so over the next two and a half months, I was basically bedridden for uh, all of May, June, and half of July. Uh, was could not basically eat any solid food. I was living on insurers and boosts, you know, because I knew I had to get calories into my system. Uh, and I during that three-month period, I probably went back to the doctor about, I don't know, five, six, seven times. And finally, at some, at some point during that time frame, I became aware that there were other people that were going through the same thing that I was and that it was a result, or at least speculation was at that time, that it was a result of uh, a vaccine injury. Um, How did you I, become I aware? It, were you just searching around on the internet looking for answers or what happened? I, I, I was, I was, because <laughs> I was doing a lot of searching because the, the sensations I was feeling um, at one point in time, I thought I was coming down with ALS. Um, oh. I just recently had a friend, a, a lifelong friend, dear friend that um, I lost to ALS. And I remember him describing some of the symptoms to me. And that's, I, I was feeling some of those same symptoms. So I thought I was coming down with that. And I was doing all sorts of searching. Uh, and I believe it was through a, a Facebook post that I saw something, uh, I think it was the React 19 um, site that I saw in a relationship to vaccine. That, and that got me off on that tangent searching down there. And I went to react19.org. And then all of a sudden, I started reading people's stories that they have on there. And I was looking at the way they were describing how they felt and the symptoms. And I said, oh, my God, this, this is like describing exactly how I feel. And in many cases, people were describing it better than I could because it was so very difficult to describe what my body was going through because it was so unique and different than anything I've experienced. Um, and that's when I started making the connection to the, to the COVID-19 vaccine. Then I started to bring this to the attention of my doctor. Um, and the more I read, the further I dug down, uh, I then got connected to the FLCCC site and was reading a lot of the things that they were writing in their hypothesis that was going on. Um, and with I, I kept bringing all this data and all these facts to my doctor. And when she saw the weight loss that I was going through, and my weight has been very consistent for 20 years, no changes. And when I when she saw my weight dropping like a, a rock, you know, the first week, five pounds, the next week, another five pounds. And when I got to the point when I was down, like tw I lost 26 pounds over two and a half months. Um, she started to believe that something was really wrong with me. She's now a firm believer, by the way, in vaccine injury. Um, Interesting. She, she has come around, you know, through the education that I've been educated through, you know, React 19, FLCCC, and other places that uh, I, I have researched. Um, and then during the same time frame, uh, based on her recommendation and referrals, I saw endocrinologist, I saw a hematologist, I saw, um, I've seen four different neurologists, uh, and the list goes on. Uh, oh, um, the doctor that would do, you know, video endoscopes and, mm -hmm. and things like A gastroenterologist. Yeah, gastroenterologist. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I, I swallowed a capsule, you know, okay. video capsule so they could look at my whole insides because with the weight loss, they thought something might be wrong with my gastrointestinal tract. So they did that. They came at me from every direction possible. Um, anyway, make a long story 
a little bit longer, I saw 15 different specialists uh, during that time frame. Now, and are you talking one, about during that first two and a half months you saw all those people? No, or it after out over. It, it, it was during that whole time frame. There was, you know, I, I saw probably half of them during the first three months. Okay. Um, and then the other half I saw going further out. The problem was it was hard to get to see doctors at that point in time. Um, there was one top-level neurologist that I wanted to see, whose name I got through FLCCC, by the way. Hmm. Um, and the earliest I could get in to see him was like eight months down the road. Wow. Um, just because, you know, with COVID and it, it, people, it was just hard to get appointments. Yeah. Um, I actually got to see him earlier because I kept calling the office and saying, look, I can come in anytime, um, you know, if there's a cancellation. And uh, one time when I called up, she goes, oh, I have cancellation in two days. Can you be here? <laughs> and I said, yes, tell me what time and where and I'll be there. Um, but the, the first, I'm sorry, the second neurologist that I saw um, and the reason I saw her was really for sleep issues, because during this first three months, I was having some really severe sleep issues where every time I would go to fall asleep, I felt like I was losing my breath and that. As soon as I started to doze off, I felt like I was losing my breath and I thought I was going to die because I was going to stop breathing. So it, it got into the cycle of where I went for like a week and a half with insomnia where I just basically got no sleep. And that's when my primary care said, let's get you to see a sleep doctor. And in talking with her, she said, you know, I have two other patients that have the same symptom set as you. And she was the first doctor to really acknowledge that this may be the result of the COVID-19 vaccination because now she had data points of right. three of her, uh, of her uh, patients that were having the same issues. And of um, course, to, to clarify, uh, and, and I don't know what you've heard from your doctors, it seems to be a little bit of a mixed bag depending on who you see, but these symptoms, this combination of symptoms is all these doctors that you saw, if, if it's like what I've heard from others, were perplexed as to what the heck could be happening that would bring that combination of symptoms to the table. Is that a pretty accurate assessment? Uh, for a lot of them, not all of them. Okay. Um, a, lot of, a lot of them, they were definitely perplexed um, when they would look at the symptom set. And especially where using standard diagnostic processes, you know, the standard blood work, um, EKGs, MRIs. I, I had my entire body MRI'd, by the way. Um, you know, my brain, thoracic, lumbar, um, the works. And when all the results were coming back as negative, but yet I have the symptom set. And because of the weight loss, it was the weight loss is what was giving some credence that there was something wrong. Because some of the other symptoms they could have just written off to, uh, matter of fact, one of the neurologists just said to, have you ever seen a psychiatrist? Mm -hmm. I think you're suffering from anxiety. And I said, I'm not an anxious person. I may be getting a little anxious because I'm really sick and I don't know what's wrong, right. but you know, it's, it's not, I've never been an anxiety ridden person. Um, so yeah, they were perplexed because the res results were all coming back negative. Um, and then there were some, that were just, Oh no, no, there's no way it could be from the vaccine. This vaccine is safe. You know, it's effective. Look at all the people that have had it. And there's no one else that is having symptoms like this. I uh, found a lot, a lot of those people, they weren't looking. They yeah. were pretty close-minded. But yet there was a good portion of them that wanted to help out and dig in. 
Well, that brings up a, a question I wanted to ask you anyway, uh, based on something you said earlier. There's one obvious answer to this question, I think, but I'm going to let you answer it because I'm, cur- I'm curious what you're going to say. Why did it take so long, do you think, for you to even look at the vaccine as a possible issue? Why, why do you think what was happening in your head that would indicate that that just wasn't a possibility to even consider? Um, here, here's my answer to it, because I'm a very naturally curious person. Um, I've got an engineering computer background. And so I love digging into things. I love diagnosing things, you know, whether it's a human body, whether it's a computer, whether it's a car, I just like taking things apart and fixing them, figuring out why they're not working. Um, I think initially the reason why I didn't make the connection and didn't dive into it quicker, my brain was not working properly. Um, I, I, and it still isn't, I know that cognitively I'm still suffering. I still have hard times um, spelling words that I know are very simple words because I'll, I'll go to spell it on the computer or write it down and I can't get the order of the characters right. Very simple stuff. And so it's getting better. There's no question it's better than it was. But if I go back to last May, June and July when I was at my worst, um, I, my, my brain was not working. I was still working at the time. Um, and the work that I did was very detailed, very complicated work. I couldn't do it because, A, I couldn't look at a computer screen for long because everything would blur out and I couldn't make sense of what I was reading. Um, I was not in condition to concentrate on anything for any long periods of time. So initially, I couldn't even really do a lot of research that I would normally would have done and things that I'm doing now just because my whatever was going on with this thing and creating an effect was affecting my mental capability. Okay. And I I I assume it's safe to say that three shots without incident would lead you to believe that a fourth shot would also come without incident. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even before I got my first shot, um, I, you know, cause this technology, the MRNA technology was brand new to the masses Uh, You know, it was not brand new to the the researchers and people who have been working on it for 10, 20 years. I dug into this stuff before the first shot to really understand how does it work? What's it doing? I I gathered and read as much data about it before my wife and I decided to dive into this thing. And from everything that was available in the public domain that I could get my hands on, it looked like a really cool technology and looked like a really leading edge approach. It was not new technology because they had been working on it for years all that was new is that it was a new application of that technology to this problem and so (laughs) silly me i thought it was going to be fully tested and that they knew how people would react or what the possible side effects were and that you know i had trust in the government agencies you know whether it be cdc fda nih that when they came out and said, something is good, it's safe, it's effective. Um, I had no reason from any experience in the past to disbelieve that. Sure. And because of of the situation with, well, everybody else, I mean, there was so much information there and there was so much fear around if you catch this thing, you're going to die. Right. Uh, And, you know, at the time when this started or when I got my fourth shot, I was 70 years old. I'm 72 now. So we're in that my wife and I are in that class of the elderly that you better watch out, <laughs> right. you know? Um, and, and 
my wife also has a comorbidity that, you know, we had to be very careful of that if she got it, she may not survive it because of this uh, comorbidity. So we were all in. Yeah. We were all in. Yeah. yeah. And so then there's really that goes a long ways towards explaining, uh, you know, why you wouldn't immediately, you know, finger that shot. You had three initially without incident. You had a 10 day run after the fourth that seemingly everything was fine. And then suddenly it wasn't. And so it's I'm just always curious about that question. And the reason is, I think that you've said it multiple times now, that phrase safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, uh, which was spoken. I don't know how many millions of times on every news channel in the country and through social media and everywhere else. And so, you know, the, the, the we were led to believe that in a very, very powerful way. And then when you go to see a, a doctor and they can't figure it out and they don't raise that as a possibility either because they're safe and effective, then that would, I, I imagine, in your mind, um, further distance you from potentially pointing a finger at the vaccine. Does that? Uh, yeah, of course it does. And and the thing also, I think, is, is still going on, but was going on in the earlier days, is that the data has been there that people are having adverse reactions to it. There's the VAERS database that, um, I don't know if it's the CDC created it or FDA, but one of those agencies created that VAERS database so they could record any adverse reactions to vaccines and use that for preemptive approaches to try and head off at the pass, you know, to, to find the problem, understand the problem, diagnose it, and then come up with some therapeutic approach. Why has all that information not come to the surface? And why hasn't it been fed back to my primary care physician and other physicians that I've seen? So they've been shielded from all that. So they weren't even coming to the conclusions or tying the strings together that, oh, you know, there's a cause and effect relationship here between the vaccine and the adverse reaction. The data is there. I mean, I've gone into the VAERS database many times myself and done extracts out of it. You know, my data has been in there for well over a year. Um, but yet. Uh, has has anything come of that from the government at all? Have you been reached out to or, or talked to at all from any government agency? No, not at all. Um, you know, I got an acknowledgement that my data was entered and I have a VAERS number, an identification number. Um, same with the the CICP and VIC program, uh, you know, the compensation, countermeasure compensation program uh, that was created at the same time with VAERS. Uh, I've entered into that, have not heard a word back on that either. And how did you come to even know, did, were you aware of VAERS prior to your injury? No, okay. no, not how, at all. How did you become aware of that? Was it through React 19 or... I believe it was through okay. React 19, and I think it was through a, a conversation I was having with Bree Dressen. She goes, have you entered your data, have your situation into VAERS? And I said, VAERS? And yeah, vaccine, you know, adverse, adverse event events. Database. Yeah, yeah, reporting system. And so, so you so, personally yeah. filed that, or did your doctor file that? I did, but my doctor knew about it. I okay. told my doctor that I was entering my data into VAERS. Okay. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, you know, you saw these 15 specialists, you saw your regular doctor, you spent time in the emergency room, you did every test that sounds like almost that can be done. Um, what's transpired from then till now? Because now we're 15 months post injury. Uh, where are you at with your health and uh, your symptoms and things like that at this point? Uh, well, my health is definitely better now than, you know, if I, if I go back to where I was a year ago, um, comparatively speaking, it's much better. And as uh, a functional doctor that I have, I'm now seeing who has treated many people for the injury, uh, she always reminds me, regardless of how you feel today, even if you're having a bad day and having a flare up, she said, compare to where you were 12 months ago, nine months ago, seven months ago. And as bad as you feel today, you're so much better than you were that, then that you're making progress, that you're going to have some peaks, you're going to have some valleys. Um, but if you, what's happened is that the peaks are getting taller and wider, the troughs are getting less deep and shorter. Um, so I'm, I'm improving. I've gone through a lot of therapeutics in terms of changing diet vitamins, supplements. I've gone through a couple prescription, quite a few prescription medications. Um, I don't think any of the prescription medications actually helped me. I think some more of the, the, uh, the over-the-counter uh, supplements have helped me more than any of the others um, that I've gone through. It, it's hard to do a cause and effect relationship because there's also this element of time that's going on. Sure. And I believe that the body's got a great ability to heal itself as long as you treat it right. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to eat clean. Um, I haven't had a drop of alcohol in 15 months. Not that I drank a lot, but I haven't had any. I cut caffeine out of my diet. I cut sugar out of my diet best I can. You know, the sugar's in a lot of things. Because I've I found actually <laughs> over the last five or six weeks that um, I've had sugar a couple times. I ate a couple marshmallows like four or five days ago. And one of the side effects of this whole thing is I've got tinnitus from it. Hmm. And some days it's very, very quiet. Um, I ate two marshmallows, like I said, three, four days ago, and it caused my tinnitus to go up to a 10 for like a day and a half. And yeah. I've had five, five specific instances in the last six weeks where I've had sugary items like, you know, uh, uh, ice cream cone. <laughs> You know, some ice cream, a uh, piece of birthday cake. And every time I do that, it just flares my tinnitus up. So now I, I can see the relationship there. So <laughs> no more sugar for me. Um, so uh, so I'm better. I'm not 100%. Um, I'll go through, you know, four or five, two weeks where I feel almost fine. And then uh, actually just yesterday afternoon, um, I could feel flare up coming. And I'm actually in a flare up right now. But it's very, very minor compared to the flare-ups I was having, say, six months or nine months ago. So a combination of, I think, these therapeutics I'm taking, supplements, and time is healing me. Well, that's fantastic news. It's been a really interesting thing for me to witness uh, the various different people with the various different levels of injury. Uh, the, the, the injuries themselves... Oftentimes, as you witnessed when you first started researching and f found that Facebook page, are 
very similar in terms of symptomology in many cases, but the severity seems to vary a lot from person to person and the mm. level of recovery uh, varies a lot as well. And certainly some of the things that I've heard that seem to be quite consistent are that um, the diet is a major factor in how people fare. I've heard everything from uh, things like intermittent fasting, uh, reduction of sugar, elimination of um, certain grains, uh, gluten, uh, corn in some cases, seed oils. These are all things that I've heard that have that seem to have mm -hmm. helped. Antihistamine type diet or low histamine diets. Diet. Um, yeah. So would you say based on what you can piece together, because I know that some of this is still a little mysterious here, uh, that diet has been the biggest impactor, maybe beyond time? It's definitely a factor, whether it's the, the biggest or not. Um, I don't know, but it definitely has had a positive impact mm -hmm. um, by you know trying to get processed foods out of the diet yeah. and just eating you know good quality protein and vegetables uh, and fruit. Um, certain fruits have a lot of, are very high in fructose. So you want to stay away from those if you're sugar sensitive. Uh, but yeah, I think diet's been a big factor. The intermittent fasting, I did that for quite a few months and, um, I was doing that as a process called autophagy, which helps to, you know, hopefully get the spike protein out of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I did that for quite a few months, whereas, you know, uh, eight hours, trying to eat in an eight hour window and then 16 hours off. Um, I found it difficult to do, but yet I was able to do it for a while. So I think that helped a while. Uh, and then, like I said, there's a couple of supplements that, uh, three particular supplements that my, uh, functional doctor put me on about three months ago. And those seem to make a probably as big an impact as the food. Oh, um, really? Do you mind yeah. sharing those? Sure. Um, so, uh, one of them was going on, uh, an omega-3 fish oil supplement twice a day, um, to all the benefits that you get out of that and the anti-inflammatory nature of that, um, nitric oxide, um, which is a way of getting more oxygen into the body, uh, similar to what a hyperbaric chamber would do. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you know, one of the theories is the mitochondria gets damaged. And when that gets damaged and you stop producing ATP, there's not enough oxygen that gets provided to the cells. So the nitric oxide, by being able to increase the oxygen inside your body, can help your cells to uh, hopefully heal over time. Um, and the, uh, oh, the other supplement that she, she put me on, and I had read a lot about this, but I had never taken the plunge into it, was natokinase, um, hmm. which is derived from soybeans. Um, and it apparently has been used over in Japan for centuries. Right. Um, and uh, the theory behind that is that they found that everybody who has been vaccine injured, that they've been able to do the blood work on, and people who have long COVID develop microclotting. Mm -hmm. um, and so a number of the doctors involved with FLCCC and Rios Pretorius from South Africa, they said, look, even if you can't get tested to have your blood work done to find the microclots because they said that everybody that we have tested, it's been hundred percent assume you have the microclots and take the action to try and eliminate those. So uh, my functional doctor put me on that natokinase, which I've 
I take that twice a day, which have absolutely no side effects at all, other than sw swallowing an easy pill. You don't know that you're taking it, but I think the combination of those three things over the last, since uh, I think it was mid January when I started taking them, I started to see probably the most dramatic improvements that I've had so far. That's excellent information. And the reason I wanted some specifics specifics on that is that a lot of the people listening to this right now are also vaccine injured and are looking for answers. And clearly your answers aren't necessarily their answers. Everybody responds differently to different things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very useful. What I really don't want this show to be is, uh, you know, just a, people telling their terrible stories of vaccine injury with no information on how maybe we can help, uh, you know, help people that are in this situation. So I appreciate you sharing all that. I think it's very, very valuable, especially to your, to your fellow injured and their families. Yeah. What, what I found in the conversations I've had with uh, fellow injured people, um, I've followed a lot of the protocols that have come out of the FLCCC mm -hmm. um, for vaccine injuries. And I, I, I didn't do all the things they said all at once, because it seemed like an overload for my body, mm -hmm. but I've gone through many of the different uh, protocols that they have on there. And in discussions that I've had with other folks, not everything works for everybody. And that's right. what's kind of mysterious about this. Uh, some people have positive reactions to some of these supplements uh, and or approaches, intermittent fasting, for example, and other people have no effect on them whatsoever. So sometimes you have to try things for, give it a good try for two, three, four weeks, maybe even a, a month or two and see how it makes you feel. Does it make you feel better? If there's anything that makes you feel worse, they even you know, FLCC says, stop, don't do it. If it's right. making you feel worse, it's, it's not good. Um, so I, for myself, I think I have found some things that are working for me. So I continue to do, do those. I appreciate you sharing that. There, I'm curious what you would say now are your major frustrations in terms of trying to... Um, figure out how to get back to optimal health. What, what have you found to be roadblocks, frustrations, things that you think are getting in the way of that? Um, I, well, here's one frustration. I'm not sure it's getting in the way, but it's probably my biggest frustration is that it, when you watch television and they have all these ads on for all these different drugs that are coming out, you know, whether it's for, you know, diabetes or whatever, pick your favorite, you know, ailment. And you see these drug advertisements at the bottom. They always have all these disclaimers. Oh, it may cause this, 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 and this. And they give you a whole list of side effects. You know, talk to your doctor about it. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your doctor. And then you can get into a discussion of what to do. And uh, while a lot of these things will bring that up, the good thing about it is it's informed consent. At least they're giving you the information of what could possibly happen to you, okay? Um, not every drug or therapy is perfect. There's nothing in this world that's perfect, okay? Um, COVID-19 vaccination, yes, it's helped millions of people, billions of people probably, but you know what? It's not perfect because there are a group of us that have been negatively impacted by it, some quite severely. Some have lost their lives because of it. Why isn't it? that either A, the pharmaceutical companies that have created this, and or our government, which is there to help us and to help protect us in situations, why don't they acknowledge that this is not perfect? 
it's okay. Nothing's perfect. And then dig into finding why is it not perfect? Why is there a group of people that are reacting to it? And then come up with some therapeutic approaches to help those people. Why is there such silence on this? No one's going to say that you're, that it's bad just because it's imperfect for a small group of people. But you know what? Even one person that has had a negative impact from these, how many people do you need to have before you start taking some action to help people? And there's now literally thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of us that are negatively impacted from this. Why be silent on it? So that's my biggest frustration is that um, why are all these other drugs that the pharmaceuticals put out? They all have full disclosure of what's going on. Um, the, the other interesting thing, and you and I had talked briefly about it before we started this, is that if this particular therapeutic approach to the COVID-19 pandemic is so safe and effective, why are the pharmaceuticals covered under the PREP Act, which gives them blanket liability? If it's so safe, why do they need a blanket of liability? Who's Who's going to do anything against you from a liability standpoint if it's so perfectly safe? That overall, now that doesn't impede me from getting better, but that's my biggest frustration. Hmm. Well, it certainly makes sense to me. And I think that it also creates a real, maybe the biggest problem that would stand in the way is that if there is an overwhelming belief amongst patients and the medical community, that these are indeed safe and effective, that people aren't being damaged by them, then it is kind of the last place people look. And it prevents research from being done to try and help people who've been hurt because if there's nobody hurt, there's no research needed. And yet we have this VAERS system, which shows that many people have been hurt. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers of reporting are up in the millions now, not even just the hundreds of thousands. And so if th the two things don't uh, apply, if you have cancer, there are plenty of places to find answers for cancer. If you have diabetes, there are plenty of places to find answers for diabetes. But if you have a COVID-19 vaccine injury, good luck finding answers to that one, right? Right. So, so you're right. You're right. You, you, you're making the logical connection. So that is a, a, a large impediment for me getting better because we don't have any standard therapeutic approaches because they're not, I, they're not acknowledging the problem and taking actions that's visible to anybody. And I say that because they haven't come out with any therapeutic approaches to help us. So right. that leads me to believe that if there is something happening, they're not talking about it. Yeah. And so then it's you have mentioned a few times in different ways. And of course, I've heard this on every episode I've done just about of this podcast. What you're left with is guesswork. You know, I'll try this for a few weeks and see if it helps. I'll try this and mm -hmm. see if it helps. And it might be ba based on some great, credible information from a group like FLCC. It might be based on conversations with other vaccine injured people that have had success with that particular type of thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned hyperbaric therapy. That's one that I've heard uh, from quite a few people has been a really helpful tool. Uh, and yet there's not a single drop of money or time being invested in trying to figure out, you know, does hyperbaric therapy actually improve 
a high percentage of people's uh, you know health who've been affected by these uh, vaccines. So it's it's a really um, it's a devastating thing because and the and the reason that I think Bree Dressen, who named this podcast dearly discarded was because your voices to a very large degree and thank God to a lesser degree now than a year ago or two years ago um, were being silenced almost completely. Now Mm -hmm. there are, you know, open forums that people can get into online a little bit. There are some uh, government uh, officials, elected officials who are listening to people like you. There are some doctors like your doctor who are at least acknowledging it now. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who've been injured, who've said that their doctor, regardless of what evidence they put in front of them, literally just refuses to acknowledge that it could even possibly be that. And so we have a long way to go. And I am so appreciative of people like yourself, people like Bree Dressen, who are willing to step up and go above and beyond their own personal situation and their own personal injury and their own personal compensation or whatever it is that they're trying to achieve for themselves and look at the greater good, which I think to a very large degree is why most people are in this boat in the first place is they were trying to do what they believed was for the greater good uh, by getting the vaccine in the first place. And thankfully their hearts uh, people like yourself seem to still be in that place where they want to then contribute to uh, the greater good by trying to find answers for people and get um, the awareness out there by, you know, doing podcasts like this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. The, the level of humanity um, that I've come across and, you know, other fellow injured folks. Um, and as you say, the reason they got in this boat in the first place was not so much for themselves, but trying to protect others, whether it be, you know, their elderly parents, uh, a spouse, their children, what have you, you know, then there's, there are a group of people that, you know, um, that may not have been their primary motivation because they may have been mandated to do it based on a job or something like that. Uh, but regardless, uh, have still gotten, uh, the vaccine injury, but that's why the motivation for the mandate, you know, or to try and get rid of the mandate. Yeah. Um, And that's the primary thing that your group uh, that you're working with health rights MA is doing is working against mandates specifically. Yes. Yeah. Very very specifically. There's a a bill. It's H seven thirty four, which for anybody that's in Massachusetts, that's interested, that's listening to this. You can go look up House Bill seven thirty four and read the detail of it, which basically says that the COVID-19 vaccine cannot be used as a barrier to entry for individuals that, you know, whether it's nurses, doctors, firefighters, policemen, uh, people that want to go to certain colleges, um, that the mandate cannot be used uh, to keep you from entering into that situation. And do you feel like you've got a good chance at getting that passed? Well, signs are, you you never know what's going to happen from a legislative standpoint, because it's a very complex process. But uh, in our last presentation to the subcommittee um, of the House of Representatives, uh, I think we had 20 or 25 of us speak in favor of uh, House Bill 734. There was not one opposing speaker. Um, Excellent. Against Excellent. This. So that's telling that group of eight or nine legislators in the subcommittee that, well, you know, here's your constituency. 
that came forward to talk about this and to a 100% level, they're all in favor of passing this bill and there is no one opposed to it. So hopefully it will get out of committee and then go to the full house and get voted on. So um, all I can say is that signs point to yes, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Well, yeah, certainly don't keep the foot or take the foot off of that pedal. That sounds very encouraging. We're not the the people that actually run the organization have done a wonderful job at uh, the entire video presentation that was done by all the individuals. And we were each given three to four minutes to talk. Um, They have broken each of the presentations down into the individual segments. And every day they're releasing one of those videos And then we as a collective community are taking those and forwarding those to our own legislators um, of the towns that we live in. Because, you know, each each group of towns or districts have different reps. So we spread out all all over Massachusetts. So we're all sending all those videos to those reps, to all the reps that are in the house, not, you know, outside the committee to get everybody educated on what we're doing. They've created a booklet, which is the vo- it's called the Voices of the Vaccine Injured. My story is in there along with probably 25, 30 other people. And this is volume one. And so at the presentations that we've done at the state house, we've gone door to door to every senator's office, every representative's office, and we've handed out this booklet, which is pr- very professionally done, Voices of the Vaccine, so they can read the stories of their constituents of what we're going through, what we're what we've been through. Um, to educate the legislators. And uh, this is why you want to support this bill. That's fantastic. Well, again, I admire you very much for uh, doing this under the circumstances that you're having to do it in where you're not at your full, in your own words, cognitively, you're not at full, physically, you're not at full uh, strength, but you're willing to, uh, you know, step up and do it anyway. Uh, And uh, even though it, doesn't look like the, this particular bill would benefit you personally at this point. Uh, it certainly has the potential to uh, provide a, a safer situation for your your fellow Massachusetts. Uh, well, no, I do have a vested. I do have one really specific vested interest in it. Okay. My granddaughter, who is two years old, you know, in another few years will be going to school, and I don't want. She's had COVID. And the natural immunization that your body creates from a natural immunity is much greater or it's either equal to or greater than what you get out of the out of the shot. Yes. And I do not want this stuff going into her body. So yeah. my okay. granddaughter. You do have a vested me. interest and that's an important I do. one. I do. Got a Full disclosure. Of... <laughs> Full disclosure. And, 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 and I'm going to put in one good word here and she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but in terms of... Um, finding the internal motivation to do something beyond self. Um, I've got to give it to Brie. I watched what she has gone through and for as bad as my situation was, hers was some percentage. I can't put a number on it, but much worse than what I went through and to see what she's done along the journey and the path that she's created and what she's created with react 19 and the threads that that has gone worldwide um she motivates me 
Yeah. Well, she motivates me as well. It's why I do this show. And if it wasn't for her, this this show wouldn't exist. And, and I uh, certainly wouldn't be involved in this. And it's been a real blessing in my life, too. I have to say that uh, knowing her has been a blessing in my life and becoming a, a, a personal friend of hers has been just a beautiful thing to see. Uh, her and her husband, Brian, are just phenomenal human beings in every way that you can possibly imagine and mm -hmm. the efforts that they put in on the behalf of so many uh, thousands and thousands of people like yourself has just been amazing to watch and and I believe has has made me a more motivated individual in uh, fighting uh, for the, the the truth to get out there the evidence to get out there and for people like yourself to get the help that they deserve yeah. So yeah. on behalf of you and me, Bree, when you're listening to this, thank you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that sentiment. All right, David, we've, uh, I think we've covered most everything. Is there anything else that you'd like people listening right now to know uh, anything that you want to tell them before we wrap this up? Uh, the one, I guess, last thing that I would say, and this is, this has been, uh, very gratifying for me is that, uh, if, you know of someone that is going through the symptoms of, of COVID vaccine, but they have no idea what they're going through or why they're going through it, and they think they're all alone, reach out to them, talk to them, let them know that they're not alone. Uh, I've come across a number of people through people I know that they say, geez, I have a neighbor that seems like they have similar symptoms to you. Would you mind giving them a call? I say, absolutely not. I'll pick up the phone, give them a call. And they thought they were all alone in the world with this set of symptoms that nobody could explain to them. And they had no idea what to do, where to go. And they thought they were dying. And when they find out that they're part of a larger community and that they're not alone in this, and here are some things that you can try and do, just that from a mental standpoint, the relief of knowing that you're not alone and you don't have some unique illness um, is so beneficial. It, it, it's been beneficial for them, the people I've talked to, and it's been most gratifying for me that you can help someone else. That may be the most important thing that you've shared with us today. I, I really am so glad I asked that question because I couldn't agree more. I've also, thanks to my exposure to this, I'm very aware of the symptoms and very aware of the situation and have met many people uh, over that time that uh, I've been able to bring some awareness to uh, as well that, you know, perhaps this could be what's going on and you're not the only one dealing with it. Um, reach out to React 19 and and find your community because that in and of itself is enough, even if the answers for health aren't as um, obvious, the fact that there is somebody else that understands that can say that they've walked in those same shoes or similar shoes, I think is incredibly powerful. So I'm so glad that you Absolutely. mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. Very All much right, so. David, I appreciate your voice. It's an, an important voice and a powerful voice for this information that uh, we're trying to get out to as many people as possible. For those of you who are listening to this episode, uh, if you want to watch these episodes, if you're listening, you can watch them on Rumble. Uh, they are available in their full length uh, as video. Uh, you can share this episode, of course, the way you'd share any podcast. And I encourage you to do that. That may be the biggest thing that you can do is sharing this message. We just really need so many more people to be aware that 
at least as far as the vaccine injured are concerned, COVID isn't over. The pandemic isn't over. There are still people who have been injured along the way who need our support. And so with that, I'll say thank you again to you, David, for joining us. And thank you to you listening out there and sharing this podcast. This has been the Dearly Discarded Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text. <laughs>